All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are back for another Boca Podcast episode. I'm here with a brand new guest, Misha Wynn. Misha, thank you so much for hanging out with me today on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I've been looking forward to this day for so long. <laughs> well, well, and I have to say, we were talking about you know energy and conversation before we hit the record button, but you bring a really great energy, which just naturally makes me excited for the conversation. Um, and I think it's a really great reminder in general, and I'd love your thoughts on this. Like when we when we engage with clients, and in fact, my first question for you is about client experience. When we have a conversation with a, a client, whether it's through text or on the phone or in person. I think that bringing a really positive, kind of excited, certainly kind energy to that conversation uh, is really important for making a great first impression, don't you? Yeah, it is. It is. They want to know that you're excited yeah. about working with them. Yeah. So, yes, it is very important. Uh, it's very important to do. And I'm an introvert, but it's I, I still have to give off that sort of energy, that that excited energy every time I work with someone and talk, talk with someone. And that's fascinating to me. And I'm glad that you make that point. So, I mean, you know, an introvert kind of stereotypically, at least in our culture these days, we talk about this concept of being an introvert and um, how, you know, being in, in large groups of people or maybe having conversations with somebody we don't know can be draining emotionally or otherwise. But despite the fact that you categorize yourself as an introvert, I, you're still communicating a really great energy with me. We've never had the opportunity to, to have any kind of extensive conversation before, uh, but you're bringing a great energy despite that, which I think highlights something really important. Um, and I'm glad that we're following this tangent, by the way, which is that despite whatever tendencies we have, we still have the ability as individuals, as human beings, to make a choice to step beyond that, to step outside that little box that we've created for ourselves and and choose to engage with somebody in this case in a way that we want to so if we despite feeling like we're introverts we want to bring a higher energy to the conversation we can choose to do that we can learn how to do that and i'm glad that you highlight that very point yeah it's something that i that i've learned to do and it's something that i'm very cautious about because my energy affects the person's energy yeah uh, so my energy affects the audience's energy so uh if you bring a great energy you will get that back most times. Oh, and that sums it up beautifully. We'll leave that for now, but I'm, I'm so glad that you highlighted it. But let's actually jump to that first question about client experience, customer experience. Is there a particular principle that has enabled you to bring a really great client experience to your clients? Yes. And it goes along with what we were just talking about. So for me, it's, it's being authentic and honest, communicating, uh, communicating effectively and, and showing gratitude. Mm. So people love to feel like they're wanted, like they're like you're appreciative. Yes. Uh, and they want to feel that you're important. So that's something that we try to do in meetings. And that's something that I try to do on, on wedding days and in each photo session. I'm really glad that you highlight this, this idea of being, um, and really, I mean, you, you could be a great interview. You've already made some great points and we're barely even <laughs> into the conversation. You're, you're a great conversationalist, but I'm glad that you also highlight the, the importance of making somebody else feel important and, or significant. And, and it reminds me of something, um, that I was actually just discussing in a, in a recent podcast interview, um, about Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins talks about human needs. I think he's, he says that there are six human or basic human needs. And one of those is significance, right? We want to feel significant yes. in some way. And That's if we, true. if we go into a conversation trying to create that environment for the person that we're engaging with clients or otherwise, you know, I mean, especially in relationships, closer, more intimate relationships in particular, if, if we make that a focus, it's amazing how good we can make the other person feel. And as a result, the interaction in general becomes that much more positive. 
That's true. And it's interesting that we're talking about this because this is the basis of a lot of my points and and my business strategy. Okay. Well, then I think we're going to have an interesting opportunity to kind of expound on that here in just a little bit. It also reminds me of, you know, there's that kind of stereotypical picture that we paint um, if, if any of us have, have, or have had dogs as pets, like you think about when you, you, anytime you get home, that dog comes running to the door, um, or comes running to you, or maybe if you're going out to the backyard to meet it, it comes running at you all excited to see you. Um, yeah. I, I, despite the fact that that might be a stereotype, um, I think there's something to be learned there, which is think about how good it makes us feel to be greeted like that by a pet. Um, how yeah, much more incredible if we could bring that to our relationships uh, relationships, and, and create that feeling of significance for the person on the other side of the conversation. I, I, I love that you highlight that. But one other question for you, you mentioned the word authentic. You try to bring authenticity to that interaction. That's kind of a catchphrase or a word rather these days. Uh, it's become mm-hmm. almost cliche. And I feel like in some ways, it's kind of the meaning of it gets watered down. I'd love for you to explain what that means to you. Okay, so what that means to me is, you know, like I said before, I'm naturally an introvert. So instead of trying to be someone that I'm not, I just I I I, I have to own my myself, sure. my strength, my weaknesses, and and be true to myself. Of, and that's first. Okay. And then I can work with others and and be honest and helpful with others. So, you know, when I go out for a shoot, I primarily shoot weddings. So when I go out to a wedding, you know, I go out and I I give a compliment. You know, I help the the bride with her wedding dress. We're helpful. We give suggestions. We're laughing with the family. Uh, And the goal is to really just be in the presence and be in the moment. I'm not really thinking about getting a award winning shot. Of course, we all want those more about the couple versus getting our award winning shot. Uh, it's it's more about giving them what they need and really being there in their moment and cherishing their day with them and sharing, cherishing that moment with them. Yeah. The word service comes to mind. Um, and, and I'm, I'm glad because this is a theme that's, that's been pretty consistent on the podcast. We've been talking about the importance of service in the context of our industry. You know, the idea of serving, um, is in some ways has, has had in the past negative connotation. I, I come from a pretty strict religious background. And so in some ways it has some religious connotation to me. Um, but the reality is the, the idea of service, we're really just simply talking about focusing on the other person. What, what can we do to add value to their life? Um, and particularly in the context of a wedding, how can I make their wedding day better by, by my presence, via my presence as a photographer? The focus is on the client. It's not about us. And, and I like that. I like that that's important to you and to your brand. And I'm sure it translates to the client and the experience that they're having. Yeah, I definitely hope so. I I really hope so. We really engage. We're not just there to work. We really try to engage when we're we're there and we really try to have fun amongst ourselves, amongst me and the team and the couple and with the family. You know, a lot of times I feel like I leave and I have new family members or, you know, you meet someone and I love that. I love being able to, to provide that. I think it takes so much stress away from the day and it kind of, it helps to calm the nerves. That's so, wonderful. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I think back in my wedding photography career, and, and one of the things I'm still amazed by is the fact that families would allow us into their day, such an intimate day, the way yeah. that they did. They, they just kind of open up. And like you're saying, treat us like we were even family. I, I, I count that, still count that a privilege. And um, it's a really incredible privilege that wedding photographers have in that very unique context. And um, so I, I love, you know, you, you've created this very positive image of the day. 
your focus is on serving the clients. I can imagine that, I mean, we talked about energy earlier. I can imagine the energy that you bring to that day really translates to creating an incredible client experience. And it's a great reminder for, for all of us. But I want to transition to the next question. And this has to do okay. with brand position. Now, your, your business name is quite interesting in that it seems to allude to what your brand position might be. I'd love for you to expound on this, but your business name is Lavishly Lux, and that's actually the, the website for everybody listening in. If you go to lavishlylux.com, we'll link to that in the show notes. You can see Misha's website there, and uh, by the way, the, the Instagram um, handle is Lavishly Lux Studio. And you can check that out as well. But will you share what your brand position is, Misha? And, and for those of you listening in aren't familiar with this term or this phrase, brand position very simply is the UVP, the unique value proposition your business offers in your market. Yeah. So, you know, I think there's two different um, dynamics here for me when, okay. it, when it comes to my brand position. Uh, one is lavishly luxe. Yes, I love anything lavish, of course. Who, who doesn't? So, you know, a <laughs> lot of times I like looking at these fashion magazines and these amazing poses and you see these GQ magazines and, you know, you, you want to photograph these models and all that, you know, but everyone's not like that. Everyone doesn't look like that. Sure. So the one thing that is very important is that for, it's for the couples to feel very comfortable. And I notice once they are comfortable, then I feel that the images come off a little bit more authentic and they come off a little bit more genuine and they, and it's, it's true to them. So you can honestly look at that image and see that emotion. So, you know, I do try, I do pose, um, but then I also allow them to kind of move to whatever's a little bit comfortable for them so that I can get some actual great images, but they're also genuine, you know, so that they don't feel that they're standing in these really awkward positions. And, you know, it's just, you know, it's really uncomfortable. I want them to feel very comfortable. So a lot of, in my opinion, a lot of uh, my best images are genuine, authentic and candid moments. And so, um, you know, the other part of that is artistic journalism and then candid, you know, being candid. So um, for me, that means being relatable, being authentic, fitting into the space. So when you think of photojournalism, you think of going out, actually fitting into the community, fitting into the the area or whatever it is that you're photographing so that you can get those raw, true and great images. And so that's the idea that I take on into every wedding. I'm not necessarily focused on, again, getting this award-winning shot. I'm focused on really capturing that day as it unfolds and capturing the emotion. Yeah, um, so I, I realized that that um, you mentioned journalism or photojournalism, and this is a, a, a word that actually used to be really popular in our industry, I don't know, maybe eight to 10 years ago, it was kind of the, it was the thing to do. It was the thing to be as a, as a wedding photographer, be a photojournalist and, and then capture the moment as it happens. And it's, it's interesting how we've moved away from that largely for the sake, I think of creating these, you know, high fashion, really fancy posed images. And so there's an interesting opportunity as, as photography brands to kind of get back to that and even emphasize that focus on that, make it some part of the brand position. So it's interesting you bring this up. Um, but I am curious though, how do you simultaneously manage or juggle that position um, while also communicating, I mean, or I guess playing on the name of your business, which has to do with being lavish? How do you, how do you make those two things coexist? Um, well, the, the majority of the couples that I get are, you know, very fun couples, forward-thinking couples. And so the way that I market and I advertise, I, I place myself in place just to where that I can attract those couples okay. that, that love our work, 
and you know, we love them. <laughs> so um, I have a very non-traditional way of, of advertising. A lot of times we'll go to, uh, you know, maybe we're at the women's brunch or the women's march, or we're at, you know, some, you know, some of these places that will attract the, the, the type of couple that actually like our work. And so one image, one of my favorite images, um, the bride, she was an influencer and she just loved posing. And so the best image was just a, a post. She was just happened to be sitting there in that one spot and I shot it <laughs> and we were done with the shoot and yeah. it was one of the best images. So um, I think when couples come and they see my work, they say, you know what, that's me. I like that. I, I love that. That That's who I am. And so it makes it a little bit easier uh, versus me trying to pose someone who doesn't really like to be <laughs> post like that or, or don't who doesn't like my images. So I just try to go after those who, who honestly like my work. It, it does make sense. I mean, when, when you, when you share the work that you ultimately want to focus on capturing, right? If, if your portfolio, whether it's your website or your Instagram feed or otherwise, if you consistently post the type of images that you prefer to photograph, then naturally yeah. that's going to draw in clients that are relevant to that particular style and and then you know you speak to the significance of being aware of the moment and in that particular instance you you saw that opportunity you captured that and it turns into a beautiful image and that's so so important that awareness that constant awareness as a more of a photojournalistic style wedding photographer um it's important to be aware so and and really as photographers in general i think we can continue to learn to be aware of our surroundings and certainly are that the subjects in front of us it's a it's a it's an art day or, or an exercise that we have to continue to practice, but it'll certainly make us all better photographers at the end of the day. So that's a good reminder as well. But let me keep going. Let's talk about free time uh, because, you know, this is and this is honestly one of the main focuses of this podcast in general was focusing on efficiency for the sake of more freedom and flexibility as business owners. Is there a particular workflow tip, technique, principle, idea that you can share that's enabled you to have a little bit of time in your life personally to make time for the important people in your life and, and ultimately even focus on things that will actually grow your business. Yes. So I am a mother and so I have twin boys and so they keep me busy. One thing that I've learned to do is schedule intentional breaks. So I will schedule maybe a one to two weeks um, depending on my workload. That may be something that I do um, two or three times a year. And I schedule intentional breaks and I force myself to do nothing. <laughs> and so uh, I make sure that uh, my admin and the rest of my team have uh, information and, and they know what to do so that yeah. I can kind of just have a complete downtime. So that means no phone calls, no emails. Uh, I have to force myself to do that. <laughs> when you say and force yourself, is that because you just tend to be um, a, a person that wants to be moving and doing all the time? Yes. <laughs> yes. I have to, I have to do something. I have to move. I have to check my email. I have to check social media. I yeah. have to do something. So I have to force myself. That is one of the hardest things to do is to force myself to do nothing and to be um, present at home. <laughs> yeah, no, it really can be. Yeah, that can be very difficult. So it's interesting, but you're, you're being intentional, which is really important. This has also been a word that's been kind of a theme as of late on the podcast, be intentional, create the space. And, um, and you know, what you're doing for yourself there is certainly healthy emotionally, physically, psychologically, um, and it helps minimize burnout in the long run, uh, encourages mm -hmm. creativity too, because if you come back to photographing fresh, um, what you're going to be able to bring to your client is going to be better that way. 
that's yeah. really important. Now, you said do you do this how often again? Um, two to three times a year. Okay. And so I may have a week or two yeah. that I'm completely off. And also, I will uh, shut the computer off and at, at 10 o'clock, <laughs> I will not respond to any emails, text messages, or anything after 10 o'clock because I do have a habit of, of working pretty late and staying up. So that's also helpful. Yeah, that's, that's important. And, and wow, 10 o'clock. I mean, that's actually pretty late too, but you're right. I think a lot of yeah. photographers have a tendency just because it's there, you know, the computer, the phone or both, they're there, they're available. You have that easy access to them. It's easy to continue to, to, to work. Um, and I, I know with, with maybe a few exceptions for all of us, that potentially means burnout much quicker, a lack of creativity. And oh, yeah. we, we, as a result as well, also kind of bring less to our personal relationships because of course we all have lives outside of our businesses, or at least I hope we do. And, and what we then bring to those personal relationships is going to be less as well. We have to keep that in mind for the sake of the important people in our life. So these are good reminders. Again, um, you you mentioned the importance of delegating to your team, especially when you're taking time off. And and I want to ask you about this idea of delegation or outsourcing in your business. Um, you mentioned somebody who oversees admin work. Is that something that you or someone that you've had in place for for a while? Um, and do you delegate in any other way? Um, you know what? I, I have had an admin uh, for a little while. That was one of the hardest things to let go mm. of. Um, and also editing. Uh, majority of the editing is, is outsourced. And for me, um, the key to that was finding someone who could do it better than I, I can. <laughs> so that made it a little bit easier sure. for me to let it go. <laughs> That makes so, sense. And, and I also started with one task at a time because um, it's really hard to let go when you're a creative person and when you're an entrepreneur, it's hard to let go. So I started with one task and once I could trust someone with that one task and it became two tasks and then I, I was able to work up to it. So I'm a little bit better at delegating now, <laughs> but I know it can be it can be a challenge. All right. Sorry about that, Boca Podcast listeners. We were having a little bit of a technical difficulty. Um, you probably heard some of that buzzing in the background. So we've gone to a little bit different mode. Misha's still here with us and we're going to keep going in the conversation, just flex and flow um, and make this thing happen. So Misha, I want to keep going in, in, in our discussion here, moving on to a question about inspiration. This is a new question this year in the 2020 season of the Boca Podcast. Whereabouts do you find inspiration uh, encouragement, maybe a source of creativity outside of the photography industry? I love art. I love all forms of art. I actually study architecture in school. So, you know, I love perspective. I love scale. I love, I love all of that. And that, that's helped me in my business. So I'd say that's the biggest inspiration for me. And, and also, you know, every weekend as I'm capturing new love stories, you know, it does remind me uh, of my mother who has Alzheimer's and um, love is just very timeless for me. And it's very important. And even though she's in a very advanced stage of Alzheimer's, she can still show love when I see her. She still greets me and gives me a hug and gives me a kiss and, wow. and all that. So I really understand how timeless love is. And I just I love celebrating it. Oh, that's so, beautiful. <laughs> well, and and. um I mean, that, that relation, that relationship you just spoke of, um, largely speaks for itself. I mean, again, to that idea of service, uh, but then focusing on, I guess, ultimately making the best of, or taking advantage of the moments that you do have together with her yeah. is, is it's so important. And it's a great reminder for all of us and, and being able to take that to your interaction with your clients. Also a wonderful thing. When you talk about art though, 
and I guess maybe what would the sources of those inspiration be specifically in the realms of art? I mean, do you look at, do you have coffee table books that you're looking at? Are you going to museums? Are you looking at some things online? How do you go about finding inspiration in that art? Well, I love going to museums. I, I love sculpture mainly. Yeah. So I love trying different museums, going to different museums, um, just looking at different forms of art. I don't really have a favorite, so I'm pretty open to any form. So it's, I just love the expression, personal expression. That's lovely. Talk to me about, um, speaking of inspiration, another source of inspiration, books. Um, is there a particular business or self-help book that you've found inspiration or encouragement or really helpful information in in the last few years? Yeah, and I, would, I don't really read a lot of art, uh, photography books. Okay. I do listen to podcasts, but I don't read a lot of photography books. Personally, uh, one of my favorites, and it's, it's been out for a while, is uh, Reposition Yourself, Living Life Without Limits, and it's, it's um, written by Pastor T.D. Jakes. Okay. And it's really about repositioning your, your life. I mean, you know, positive things happen in life, negative things happen, and it's so easy to lose who you are and lose your focus and lose your direction. And it's just about placing yourself in a better place and, and moving forward, no matter what happens, just continuing to move forward. Oh, yeah, that that idea of proactivity is so, so important. I mean, even, you know, of course, this is a very tiny example, but we were dealing with some some technical audio issues. And it, it would be easy in the moment, maybe just to get totally stressed out and, and flustered and yeah. be like, oh, we'll just do this another time. But instead, you just flex and flow and you figure out how um, to move beyond that thing and keep moving forward. Again, that's a that's a very small example, but but I think it's something. It's a good reminder um, for our, our personal lives and our professional lives that we learn how to be that way. We learn how to flex and flow, continue to move forward, focus on being proactive versus just kind of reacting and letting things get to us too much. Right, and one thing one thing that he he talks about is selling yourself for less for less than what you deserve, and that's something that's an example that we can use in our personal lives and you know, in business. And sometimes when you're not feeling too confident, you had a bad experience, you tend to sell yourself for less than what you really deserve. And it's about, you know, accepting those mistakes and moving forward and owning it and learning and, you know, placing yourself in in a better situation. It's a great reminder for all of us. And of course, we'll link to that, uh, that book in the show notes. If you go to bocapodcast.com, um, you can, you can, we'll link to that probably on Amazon actually for everybody. We've also created a, a resource actually for anybody who doesn't know about this yet. Um, if you go to Boca and I'm going to double check here, make sure I'm telling everybody the right thing because I, 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 I actually started to second guess myself, but if you go to Boca bookshelf.com, um, this is a resource that Haley recently created highlighting the most popular books on the podcast that we've, that, that our guests have mentioned. So you can take advantage of that resource there too, if you're also looking for uh, books to read or to listen to. And uh, so check that out, bookabookshelf.com. But let's let's jump to our primary point of conversation for today, Misha. And this has to do with finding the perfect second shooter. And um, this is an interesting one. Um, Honestly, I mean, shooting weddings for over 10 years, I rarely had a so-called second shooter. I, I photographed with my partner and she was a second photographer. So we were, you know, each person, I guess, was just as important as the other. Many times with, right. with second shooters, we're bringing a, a person along to either be an assistant in some way and or then also get additional pictures where we can't 
Um, can you, first of all, just kind of give context to the idea of a second shooter? Does the definition vary from, from um, event to event, or how do you see it? You know, it can vary from event to event. Uh, most of the time when I have a second shooter, they are, we are pretty much equal. It's not just someone that, you know, is just catching a few images. We're, our images are equally as important. So for me, uh, a few of the most important reasons to have a second shooter is to catch images from different angles and also to allow you to capture more detail. And then a second shooter can help when things go wrong, when you lose or your, your equipment breaks. Um, that's one important reason to have a second shooter. And the, the other thing is uh, the second shooter can help with the groom, photos of the groom while I'm with the bride. And so for me, those are the reasons to have a, a second shooter. Yeah, almost like um, an extension of you as the photographer being where you can't be also acting as a backup. Um, and these are really important reasons to, to keep in mind. And especially for maybe a studio that hasn't really considered the idea before. Our, our industry talks about the idea of second shooters a lot. Uh, but maybe many photographers will say, you know what, I'm good enough on my own. I got it covered. I can handle this. But there are p- pretty significant benefits to working with a second photographer. And, and you highlighted uh, a number of them there. Of course, we'll put that in the show notes as well, bocapodcast.com for anybody that's curious. But when we're trying to find a second shooter, I mean, somebody who is reliable, um, who's going to show up, who's going to be there on time, who's going to follow instructions and ultimately represent our brand well. Um, I, I don't, That's really important. It's really important. Yeah. And well, and it can ultimately be maybe a bit of a challenge to find that person that's a best fit for our company. Uh, do you, I mean, have you had some, some bad experiences trying to find and then work with second shooters? Yes, I have two that I can think of <laughs> right off one. Um, I had a second shooter that um, was a little argumentative and he actually got into a really heated argument with one of the guests oh, wow. at the wedding. And it was very, I know it's very distracting. <laughs> and so that is something that was a, somewhat of an embarrassment to me. Yeah. Um, and definitely not something that I would like to experience again. And the other, other thing was I had someone who I really didn't like their images. So I, I felt that the gallery of images or the portfolio that I saw didn't look nothing like the images that I received that night. So those were two bad experiences that I had. And so I try to do my best to avoid those two things from happening. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, and let's, let's kind of focus on that for just a second reasons why it can be difficult to find a second shooter. That's, that's reliable. That that is a good representative for our brand. I mean, you mentioned a couple there. One, it's hard to know, you know, after maybe a few interactions, what this person's personality is, uh, at a bigger picture mm-hmm. level, how they're going to interact with guests, how they're going to respond to a stressful situation. So that can be one of the reasons, I guess. Um, the other that you mentioned too, is it's easy to show a few pictures, 10, 20, 50, hundred pictures that look good. But again, yeah. on a larger scale, can they actually produce, can they show up and rep your brand really well? That might be another reason why it's difficult to find a second shooter. Are there some other reasons as well? Yeah. You know, find someone who has, who is a personality fit. You know, he can come in and work, work very well with the team. Um, that can be a little hard to find. It can be a challenge to find someone who can fit your shooting style. So for me, I think that's the biggest challenge that I run into. And of course, you want someone who's trustworthy. That's going to be on time, like you said. Um, and someone who has enough wedding experience for me to, to know exactly what to do. Because most weddings are, you know, we have a timeline, but something always happens. Something 
it's not on the timeline, something comes up. And so you want to make sure that you have someone who can easily just follow along and still capture images. Um, someone who's experienced enough to be able to capture the, the type of images that you want them to capture. Yeah, that's interesting too, because, you know, in many cases, probably the more experienced photographers are likely already running their own businesses. So, um, trying to get them yeah. to second shoot for you might be a bit of a challenge, but let's let's get right to the, the kind of meat of this conversation, which is how to go about finding the, you know, we're, we're going to make it proactive, right? Um, we, there may have been some negative experiences, but ultimately we need to figure out certain specific ways to go about finding a good second shooter. And I'd love to know from your experience, if there are some tips that you have for our listeners about how to go about finding that second shooter and minimizing the possibility of running into those those kind of horror stories, if you will. Oh, yeah. Okay. So finding someone eager to learn and work, you know, you don't want to hire someone who's just going to kind of sit around that you have to micromanage yes. someone who's eager, to learn to work, who, who doesn't mind asking questions. Mm. Um, that is something big for me. No one knows everything. So that's a, that's a big one. Um, I will share a gallery of my images so that they know what to expect. So they know what the expectation is, Okay, I should say. So they know what type of images I want to capture and I'm looking to capture. Um, and so before I bring someone on as a second shooter, I will allow them to come in and shadow so they can understand exactly how we work and exactly how we, we, we move throughout the day. That, that has been very helpful because when you're working with someone, it's hard for me to bring someone in that I've never worked with for a wedding and I have no expectation. They don't have an expectation. So it's really good to set expectations. Um, so after shadowing, we'll sit down, go over the images and we'll, we'll discuss expectations and what could be different, you know, ways that we can improve. Um, and then after that, I will hire them as an assistant um, to come work um, along with me and a second photographer and just to see if they're a fit. So that's the process that I use. And that's been very helpful with choosing who I then hire as a second photographer. That's interesting. Okay, that last point, and I, I want to kind of go back over each of these points, but that last point that you made is, is quite interesting to me. So you'll have this new second shooter come along with another second photographer. So that you, I, I'm assuming that's just so you don't risk only having one shooter there who's not experienced and who could potentially rep the brand poorly. You've got almost like a backup. Yeah. So they're working as an assistant more so okay. versus a second shooter. Yeah. That's, that's really smart. Okay. So I'm going to go, I'm going to kind of backtrack though for a second. So I, I love the first point that you made, which is the importance of finding somebody who is eager to learn, um, and to work both. And, and you mentioned yeah. the significance of curiosity. Um, you know, the, the interesting thing about curiosity, I mean, this is a life lesson really, but curiosity almost in a, in a sense kind of removes ego, right? Ego says, I know it all. I've got it figured out. Um, you don't need to tell me anything. How dare you question this thing or, or you know, suggest that I didn't do this right or otherwise. Curiosity suggests that I think a lot of that ego is set aside because you're genuinely interested in how something works and you're genuinely yeah. interested in figuring something out. You're interested in what the other person has to say. Um, I, I think this is a really great personality trait, curiosity. Is there a way that you are able to gauge that person's curiosity and ultimately their eagerness to, to learn from you? Yeah. So when we sit down for a meeting, uh, usually I will meet with someone first face to face and we'll just have a, a, a candid conversation. And a lot of times I can tell uh, by just that conversation, if they're a know-it-all, if they feel like, you know, they've got everything figured out <laughs> yeah. or if they're eager to learn how how I work. 
So, um, you know, that's something I can gauge when I sit down and I talk to someone. A lot of times someone who's really eager to work and learn, they're going to ask, well, what would you like for me to do? Or how can I improve? Or what will be more helpful to you? Um, and so that kind of tells you a little bit about someone's character trait. Again, yeah. you know, I do want someone when we go in for a wedding day, I want them to, you know, serve the client. Yes. So that's, that's kind of like a pre-interview. <laughs> that totally makes sense, but that's so important. And, and um, I think something that can't be emphasized enough, you know, before even the photographic skills are addressed, make sure that the, the attitude, the mentality is right. And in this case, we're talking about the importance of eager or an eagerness, I guess, ultimately to, to learn a curiosity um, and then ultimately yeah. a motivation to serve uh, or just to sum it up to say, that somebody is eager to work. Um, but really it's, it's focused on serving the client. I'm glad that you highlight that as well. So that's a great first point. Um, the second one, you talked mm -hmm. about sharing a gallery of images with this potential second shooter and creating expectations around the style of photography that you want from them. How detailed do you get with this? I mean, are you looking at like technical settings of the camera? Are you looking just simply at composition? How, what does this process look like? I'm looking more for composition. So I show them that the, the, a gallery of, of a wedding or a couple of weddings, and I go through images and say, this is, a, this is one image that I like. I love this image, and this is why I love it. Um, and this is what we're looking to capture. Okay. So for me, a lot of it is composition um, because I can kind of teach someone's photography skills and we can adjust settings, but the composition and knowing what to catch and when to catch it is something that's a little harder to, to teach. So, um, it's best for me to show that. That totally makes sense. Yeah. And, and that's a great point too. You're, you're right. I mean, especially with the cameras these days, if, if absolutely necessary, those cameras can go into aperture priority or some automatic mode that will likely nail the exposure the majority of the time, but the composition can't be redone, especially if you have to crop significantly. So highlighting the significance of composition, um, is, is a really interesting point of conversation. And then you take them to the third point, which is, is shadowing you on a wedding. What does mm -hmm. that, what does that look like? Are they there literally for the whole day with you and just following you around? And are they doing so you alluded to reviewing the images after, so they've got a camera with them. Are you expecting them to shoot all day long? What does this process look like of shadowing? No, they, they don't have to stay all day. I do like for them to come for at least two or three hours. I prefer for them to come at least an hour before the wedding and kind of walk through the venue with me and, and see how I shoot some details and getting ready shots. So I do like for them to, to shoot. And as they're shooting, I'll kind of look and we'll kind of talk about maybe what the settings can be. Um, but not too much because it's kind of hard to slow down during sure. during wedding day. So I'll let them come along. And then um, I will... I, ask them to upload images. A lot of times I'll, you know, edit their images and then we will talk about um, the images afterward that they caught versus the ones that, that I caught. Okay. Yeah. So, so they may come along for what, like two, three, four hours for, for that shadowing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, it's usually no more than, than four hours. And, and then you, you mentioned, um, and this brings us to the fourth point, the importance of reviewing the images with them after the fact, you're going to go ahead and have those images edited or edit them yourself. And, and then you're yes. going to look through them. What does that review process look like? What is some of that feedback that you might give? What does that sound like? Um, so I look, look at how close they are to the images that I've taken or the, the angles that I've taken. And then we talk about it, you know, we talk about 
the composition. We talk about the lighting. We talk about whether this was a a great image to catch or whether it wasn't a great image and where I was, the positioning. We talk about pretty much every aspect of the image. And really going back to shadowing and talking about someone's character, uh, during that shadowing process, I can tell usually if someone's really eager or if they're just kind of kind of going to sit over against the wall and, yeah. you know, go get, get the bar. I can tell a lot by that. So when we go over the images, I can tell really between the shadowing and going over the images if that's someone that I, I would want to work with or not. Um, but, yeah, going over images, it's composition, it's lighting, um, placement. It, we pretty much talk about everything. And how long would that review session last? Like an hour or two or, or what does it look like? About an hour. About an hour. And will you, will you give them another chance? If it doesn't turn out great the first time, will you give them another chance or two or three chances? Like at what point do you say, you know what, enough's enough. This is not a good fit. I'm going to look for somebody else. Well, if the part, if, if personality wise, if it's not a fit, then I won't really go any further than that. Sure. You know, or if someone comes and they're really not helpful at all, then I won't go any further than that. Um, but if the composition of the images is, is pretty good, then I can I can move forward with that. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Because if somebody is is open to learning, they're eager to learn, they're open to your feedback, they're easy to work with in that sense, then like you said, teaching some of the skill set, uh, or more specifically, the style of composition, for example, that's something that can be done. Um, I, I think that's really important too. It, and it's really a great reminder for all of us, including myself, we need to be teachable. We need to keep an open mind to feedback that we can get from somebody else, whether that's our employer or it's a, you know, an, another, an associate or somebody in our personal life somewhere. Being open to feedback, setting that ego aside, it's, it's going to ultimately enable us to continue to grow as individuals. And that's certainly important for a second shooter. I'm really glad that you've highlighted that. The fifth point that you mentioned in this process of finding a good second shooter is then having that, that potential second shooter then come along on a wedding where you already have an actual second. They're coming along more as an assistant at that point. Um, can you mm-hmm. describe in a little bit more detail what that looks like too? When you say they're an assistant, are they just carrying gear around? Are they also shooting on that day too? So you can review those images. They will be shooting on that day, but they will help, you know, like with the dress or help us set up details or help us uh, set up light. Um, I will, during that time, it's for me, it's, it's a time to teach, although I'm paying them. Um, I will teach them how I use the lighting, what settings I use. So it's more teaching in my opinion, so that hopefully the next time that that person can work as a second shooter. That makes sense. And it's also getting familiar with, you know, getting a little bit more familiar with me and the team that I work with. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is a really wonderfully balanced approach. Um, It seems as though that that you're taking, and, and it's interesting how this could apply to potentially bringing on associates of other kind, whether it's for administrative work or otherwise for, for our companies, for our listeners' companies. Um, this is a really mm-hmm. wonderful introduction to this process of bringing in some, somebody on board and making sure that they are a good fit. And that uh, uh, might be even something that I that I reference as an outline. This is great information, a great introduction to how to go about finding a second shooter. And I really appreciate you making time to share with me and with our listeners today as well. Um, I want to make sure that you have the opportunity just to remind our listeners one more time where they can find you and follow you online. Of course, we'll put this in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. But will you just remind us of, of your website and, and social media as well? Yes, my website is, is lavishlylux.com. Instagram is lavishlylux.studio. Facebook is lavishlylux. And if it, I really want to thank you for this opportunity. Uh, it really meant the world to me to share my knowledge with your listeners.
Oh, and truly the privilege is mine. I love that you've become part of this Boca podcast community. And um, everybody make sure that you give uh, Misha a shout out, a follow, message her and, and share with her what you learned from the conversation as well. You can see the show notes from today's conversation at Boca Podcast, B-O-K-E-H podcast.com or find the show notes in your favorite podcast app. And uh, we look forward to not only continuing to have you listen in, um, but if, if you're interested in being a part of the podcast at all, you listeners out there, you want to to come on board like Misha did today and um, and add value to the community, or maybe you're interested in a brand position consultation, we've been pushing some of these out as of late, don't hesitate to reach out, just Nathan at photographersedit.com. We'd love to hear from you. I hope everybody has an absolutely wonderful day. Thank you so much for listening to the Boca Podcast. Will you let us know what you thought by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Milu, the simplest way for photographers and coordinators to collaborate on shot lists and timelines for weddings, parties, and other amazing events. Visit Milu. M-I-I-L-U.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the professional photographer. Visit photographersedit.com.